So here we are in the shed again, and it is April 1st. And April 1st, what does that mean, boys? It means that spring is finally arriving, even though it doesn't feel like it. It means that now the long, endless winter of our discontent is gloriously made spring by three men of Rossland, three sons of Rossland. That's us. back in the shed the actual live shed face to face real people in a real room on april 1st it's a spring day it's not too spring like out there right now but that's okay we have a bunch of stuff on our minds today we've got everything from the oscars to foosball to whether china is spying on curling and manipulating at those dirty dogs just kidding don't send us angry email about our anti-china sentiments so <laughs> if you hear any of that in here, you're going to know you're in the right place. Just hearing our voices should tell you you're in the right place. So let's go. You guys want to do listener mail? Let's do listener mail. I heard through the grapevine that we received some. I didn't get a chance to look at it because some clever fellow moved it into a little space that I never ever seen before. So yeah, let's do let's do that because it's always great getting listener mail. All right. Jesse of Montreal says... And this topic is aphantasia and acronoplans. Uh, hey, dogs. As someone who recently found out they have aphantasia, if I pronounced that right, I was surprised by RJ's nonchalant reaction to it. When I realized everyone else could actually see images in their heads, I felt like I was Wiley e. Coyote who just looked down after running off the cliff. I can't see much of anything, including not being able to picture my kids' faces. And it turns out that a ton of expressions that I was assumed, assumed were metaphors, such as counting sheep to fall asleep, were actually literal. He says, I also can't hear music in my head. A lot of the struggles I had during my music career made sense. Speaking of hearing things, can you make the voice inside your head sound like Morgan Freeman? Oh, yeah. I can't. In fact, that's how I think I sound. I don't just make it. It just sounds that way to me involuntarily. So Jesse has it full on. Mm -hmm. And I don't have it for music at all. Like I totally can. I can play music in my head clearly, whereas I can't uh, visualize things well, it's clearly. A, it's kind of fun to imagine, you know, like he's a professional musician. How do you... So you, you get your music, you're practicing. A thousand years ago when I played the bass trombone, I did play the bass trombone. Did I mention that? Yes, I did. You'd play your part, but you could hear the rest of the orchestra in your head. You knew where your part went, right? And what it sounded like around you while you're playing ba 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 you know, because the bo trombone parts were always boring. But you could hear the rest of it in your head. And it yeah, would yeah. be a real challenge to to be a musician and nail your part down when you're just practicing. Maybe that's why he chose saxophone. Because they get the melody all they the time? They get the melody all yeah. the time, but... But also, I think they get the chicks, so that's probably his real motivation. <laughs> well, Jesse, we'll uh, we'll wait for your feedback on really was was that the genesis of your music career picking up chips? Was that what it was, or was it because you like to hear the melody, so you don't have to imagine the rest of the the ensemble? Well, he could hear it when he's in the ensemble, right? So you can hear when you're fit. Yeah, of course. While you're while but you're I'm just while thinking, you're playing live, but not while you're practicing. Yeah, right? yeah just. 
Yeah, I was thinking about this a little bit more recently, and I was thinking about the difference between the word visualize and envision. PJ, you're our words guy, so what do you when you hear those two words, what's kind of the difference between them? Well, if I was going to guess, I would say visualize is imagine a thing that exists and picture it in your head. Visualize your car finding that empty spot in front of the crowded club. Right, right. Visualize that. Yeah. But envision to me is more of an imaginative thing where you you visualize something that doesn't exist. Right. I envision a day when rocket ships will take man to the farthest reaches of space. space. Right. You know, you, you, you're imagining it, I think. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Us. Yeah, which is not necessarily seeing a picture of it in your brain. Yeah. Well, you yeah. do see a picture of it in your brain. It's a vision that doesn't exist. You have envisioned something. Well, you could say, I envision a day when bonds can be bought and sold like stocks. Well, that's not a visual thing at all. But you could still say it, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And he has a little follow-up here on the gigantic planes we talked about. He says, and while it is not a World War II aircraft, I'd like to send PJ down another rabbit hole with the 60s-era Soviet, a chronoplan. It's the definition of a monstrosity. Yeah. PJ, did you have a chance to watch that I video? I sure did. I was way ahead of him, in fact, on that. There's one of those things beached by what's left of the Black Sea. You can go visit if you want. And they're just this gigantor thing. It's kind of, I, I don't know if we should do this here, but the basic premise was planes work by creating a slight vacuum uh, above the wing because of the curve of the wing. Air rushes across a slight vacuum above, pulls the plane up, eh? They also create a downdraft by that same process. The curved wing forces air down. And the Acronoplan central tenet was, we're going to use that forced downward air as well as the vacuum lift. By flying really close to the surface, we'll use the downward force created by the curved wings to provide extra lift for this plane so we can make it extra mega monstrously huge and not have to have, you know, nuclear powered engines or something like that. So that's what they tried. But the idea was this thing would skim along about 50 feet off the surface of the waves. And it would use sort of, you could think of it as reflected lift. Hmm. And it would use that as well as the regular kind of lift to be really enormous. That was the concept. And I don't know about anybody else, but as a total layman, my first thought was, what if it's like really wavy? Will the lift be like all over the place? <laughs> and in fact, it was. It didn't work well when the weather was bad. Eh? When there was big waves, the plane was really hard to manage. That was the one thing, you know. All you need is one little flaw. You could have these grand plans. Well, what's funny to me about it is you kind of think a 10-year-old would probably think of that. You know, like it, it's it's using a cushion between something underneath and the underside of the wing. If the something underneath does this, then your plane is going to do that. And if, like, I just don't know what they were thinking. Apparently it was pretty good in flat seas. Yeah. Like, so the Black Sea would be an example of that. It's normally fairly calm yeah. relative to the ocean. Yeah. But when you're going to invade yeah. somewhere else, like yeah. far away, like New York City or something. <laughs> yeah. The Atlantic, not so great. The right. Pacific, out of the question. You and then like, if they had to drop into the water... You, they simply couldn't take off. Uh, yet the, the lift... If, if there's waves. I think they had rocket-assisted lift or something But if like there's that. waves, they simply yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. just wild. So they gave it up. And they, like I say, there's one left round. But I'm telling you, that is a... I was just looking again this morning at yet another triplane 
bomber that was built during the First World War. It was supposed to be, and it was a big, ambitious thing. And some guy that was had patents on structural building approaches decided he wanted to build a plane and sell it to the Royal Air Force. They got all the way to the tryout stage, and they tried it out, and it just duffed it nose first, killed the pilots, the end, the over. Just this huge investment, right? Did not work. It's an endless wormhole. I got lazy in episode 134 and didn't post any links, but uh, I'm going to get back into business for this episode, and we'll we'll have a link for the 60s-era Soviet Akrano plan. Fantastic little video, too. Not very long, 10, 12 minutes or something. Just great, like some animated scenes yeah. of what it's to like. To explain flying. what they were thinking. Yeah, about, yeah, it was very cool, and just the monstrosity of it. Yeah, just huge dimensions. Yeah. Anyway, and thank you for that, Jesse. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, uh, Lee from Courtney commenting on episode 132, Shed Rats. She says, I can't even say hi, dogs, because I'm in a state of shock. Al from Willow Point saw David Cassidy in New York in Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I did not know that. I'm shocked, appalled, and many more sorrowful things. Okay, so I'm just going to interrupt you there. Two points. One is... Well, maybe even three. After the sentence that where she says, Al from Willow Point saw David Cassidy, block letters, listeners, in New York in Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, triple exclamation marks, a rarity from anyone, but certainly Lee of Courtney. And I just want to point out that I don't think she's shocked that she did not know every detail of Al from Willow Point's life. I, I'm pretty sure that's not what she was shocked about. I think she was shocked that he ever appeared in that. And the other thing was, I didn't know that Al, who I thought lived in Walnut Grove, lived in Willow Point. So I think she knows something that I don't. Right, but I think we should keep saying Walnut Grove. Well, I, I think we'll just go Willow Point and then we can have them have a, a nasty battle. Maybe we should shift Huey to Walnut Grove. <laughs> That's right. It's the new Glen Mary. <laughs> No, sorry. The new Janelle. That's right. It's the new Janelle. (laughs) Anyway, she is shocked, appalled, and many more sorrowful things, as PJ says, that uh, she didn't know something about David Cassidy. She said, I knew Donnie Osmond had a run, but I have learned yet one more thing I've learned from Shed Dogs, continuing the work of strengthening its listeners' brains. That's right. A key tenet of our existence is our... Contributions to an enlightened society. Oh, I know the average uh, brain size in here is like 25% larger than is typical. Swelling, itching Itching, brain. yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, I have learned that David was Joseph back in the 80s. I knew he'd done, along with his brother Sean. Hey, remember Sean? I forgot I do. about him. Along with his brother Sean, Blood Brothers. And I knew he resuscitated FX in Vegas. But I somehow miss knowing about Joseph. And now it's too late to see him anywhere, except in my dreams, of course. And Lee of Courtney, I think that's edging right into TMI territory there. Hey, PJ, how do you spell Courtney anyway? What do you mean, court with any Y on the end? Why? Well, that would be Courtney Cox for sure. But how do you Oh, my how do you God. Spell? Really? Are we really doing this? <laughs> what do you say? You say Courtney. I spell it Courtney. Well, what do you say? I say Courtney. 
Why? Courtney, why, why do you say Kootenai and spell it A-Y? Well, why but are you, you challenging me on that? Why correctly. the hell are you calling out my pronunciation of Courtney when it's the same way you do it? It's not your pronunciation. It's your spelling. I, I don't even know why my spelling's in question. This is an audio session, isn't it? I don't even know Skinny, why. Skinny, how do you pronounce B-U-R-Y? Barry. Yeah, and I was in... Like, I'm going to bury this whole segment when I get to the editing table. <laughs> but there are a few people that say Burry, right? There's a yeah. lot of people that say that. And where does that come from? Is mm-hmm. that just a regional? English guys Toronto. say Burry. Toronto. Toronto. Okay. They're as English as Canada gets as Toronto. That's right. Ottawa Fol- Valley. Focus people. It's my fault, but... It is your fault. I don't even know what that was about. Speaking of PJ's favorite topics, just on the subject of performers... Since it was a topic on this show too, I agree that Nicolas Cage is pretty awful. I really liked him in Moonstruck, Peggy Sue Got Married, and Leaving Las Vegas. But since then, nope. In fact, when I look down a cast list, if I'm deciding whether I want to watch a particular movie, I usually do the Baldwin, 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 nope, we're safe there. Alex accepted. <laughs> and I pretty much do the same with Cage, Cage, Cage. And I think he kind of lost his mind, married Lisa Marie Presley for about five minutes, and went right downhill after that. Mickey Rourke was good in Diner, as your letter writer said. And I also think he was good in Barfly, based on the life of Charles Bukowski. And then he read too many of his own press clippings got an outsized ego and listened to no one. So it kind of sounds like Will Smith. He did drop right out of acting and became a professional wrestler, not a boxer, but you probably heard me yelling wrestler every time you said boxer. Anyway. I did. I did actually hear that loud and clear. <laughs> and his comeback movie was The Wrestler, in which he was also very good. Pathetic, as he likely kind of is, but very good awesome letter that is an awesome letter. i didn't know that it was wrestling i did think it was boxing and good on her also nice list of decent nicholas cage movies because i agree with those ones mm-hmm. those were good movies yeah. and performances and but but we saw it's kind of the end of it we saw the average reviews of face off pretty darn good <laughs> and also the listener the listener <laughs> view, reviews of face off were also pretty darn good and so on. it's not just the reviewers right so so who knew, you know, you, when you do these kinds of things, podcasts that go on for many episodes, you kind of expect to develop reference things and things that are constant bones of contention that you come back to, like my spelling. <laughs> but who knew that we would be coming back to Face Off just, you know, it's three times be. a year. You guys remember Face Off? That was an awesome I, I think it should be a new, uh, new segment. <laughs> Joanne from Rossland says, listening to your episode 131, I think about how artists conceive a piece because we're talking about visualize, right? Robert from Thrums comes to mind. The painting is all in his head before he even begins. That is so cool. That would be a good question for him. Mm. Signed, Joanne T. I sort of disagree with that. With what? What Joanne said. (laughs) About uh, Robert from Thrums? Yes, because... There is a Robert from Thrums right up there, and he just sat down here. And let me to get it. Well, well, is it visual? It's behind the. Okay, I can see part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So he draws little things, little tiny things, and then he adds on to the little tiny thing, and he just sits down. Now I don't think that he came in here thinking, "Oh, I'm going to draw this today." But your point is, he didn't just entirely envision. 
something from scratch and do it. He had an actual object in front of him that was the seed for the rest of the piece. Well, maybe he works in two different modes, though. You know, depending. Maybe so. Because maybe he was just sitting with you and said, let's create something. So then he's got to start. So really the objection is he doesn't 100% of the time do it from right out of his head. I imagine if he does a big work that he's... you know, some of his big stuff that he was selling in the day. I don't know if he still does big stuff. I think he does. But I, I, I'm I, not sure that he sees the whole thing. Because he works in little tiny little sections and he adds on teeth and hands and eyes. And I think we're going to have to wait for enlightenment from Robert of Thrums. Sorry, Joanne of Rosslyn. No disrespect intended, but we might have to go to the source for that one. We will. She said we should. Oh. And uh, Joanne uh, from Rawson also writes, she sends us a little snippet from an article and she said, I thought of PJ when I saw this, made me chuckle. And here is the snippet. It's about a movie called Pig. Pig is a quiet drama that stars Nicolas Cage and, well, a pig, which may seem like a weird choice for a Valentine's Day roundup, but hear us out. Yes, the basic premise of the movie is a bit odd, but that's what makes it all the more beautiful. Cage gives his best performance in years as Rob, a former hotshot chef turned reclusive truffle hunter struggling with grief. So we got truffles, we got grief, we got hot shots. And a pig. And a pig. When his beloved foraging pig is stolen, Rob will stop at nothing to get it back. Oh my God but not in an excessively violent John Wick way. And if that isn't true love, we don't know what is out now on Crave. So PJ, I think you should watch that. I think I should. Give us your review and Lee from Courtney, if you don't mind, have a watch that one. I was just going to say though, that I'm not going to be overexcited by this review because it says his best performance in years. And that's setting the bar pretty low. It's been like decades since he gave his best performance. So, all right, uh, Jesse, Jesse from Montreal writes again. Uh, he's writing about episode thirty-two, and I, I liked his subject line. It's NFTs too, the NFTing. <laughs> Just kind of like a play on a movie title. Uh, he says is strongly hinted as at in episode one thirty-two. Here is the link to download the file for my audio viewer mail. So uh, we will put that link in the show notes, but if you listen to the very, very end of episode 132, PJ actually embedded that audio right in the episode. Uh, We said at the beginning of the episode we were going to provide a separate file for it, and then we went ahead and embedded it. So so sorry about that confusion, and uh, you can get it either way. He says, also, if you have two hours to spend on a really, really interesting explanation of NFTs, I highly recommend this fairly technical video. And I can tell you, I watched that whole video. Did you? And I watched it before he even sent it, actually. Wow. And it is amazing. I thought, do I really want to spend two hours on this? Yeah, that's what I thought. But the guy is so good at explaining things. I mean, if you ask me again... I still won't nail it because it's kind of hard to retain, but I just loved watching it. And this guy's take tends to be towards the bottom will fall out on this thing. Be careful. Hmm. I mean, there are NFTs out there right now, like 
more than half of all NFTs just go nowhere. So you buy it and, and you spend your thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand and, and then you simply can't resell it. There's a lot going on with that. I think people are starting to see the emperor wears no clothes on NFTs now. So the Ponzi-esque nature of yeah, NFTs. Yeah. Whereas cryptocurrency, which also is Ponzi-esque, it's just getting promoted heavily by all these mainstream sites now. I mean, the Vancouver Sun is it ever owns part of Moto Mojo. Anyway, that company, I think it's Moto or Mojo. Every day in the Vancouver Sun, a full page ad from this company. Every day. And it turns out the Vancouver Sun owns the company or owns part of it. It's just crazy. Jeez. Um, but yeah, and mainstream TV ads, like that really funny one with the uh, cavemen and they're inventing the wheel. Have you seen that commercial? No, I I saw a little bit of it, but it was on social media and I did not turn the sound on or finish the video. I, I got the point. Somebody was trying to make the pitch on the wheel. There's a lot of comedy in it, yeah. right? Like. Like they have an axle and one wheel at the end and the person's holding the other again. Where do we put the other wheel? <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bunch of that. It was very well done. But at the very end, they're making fun of people. They even use the term, it's a Ponzi scheme, man. They use that term to make fun of people who are saying that crypto is not a good thing, right? So uh, there's a lot of pressure on people who don't pay attention to this stuff in detail to get in on this crypto thing. And where's the money being made? In just two or three exchanges. The fees, right? Mm. So it's just crazy. Well, this is one of those situations where I actually feel that it's okay for me to settle into my ignorant old man mode. Where I just, this is too modern for me. I just can't, I don't need to, I'm not going to change my life for this. I don't need to make bold moves and get in on the ground floor. I don't, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to be comfortably ignorant about crypto everything. Yeah, it's not much different from putting all your money in a penny stock. Kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, and he closes with, and my wife and I caught Schmigadoon. KJ was perfect. Take care. Perfect. So that was very nice. Who was that, Jesse again? Mm-hmm. I agree with you on Bitcoin, Skinny. Comfortably ignorant. Yeah, I just can't. I, I have suspicions, but I can't even be bothered to validate or invalidate them because I just don't care enough. I'm not doing it either way. So why bother? Nancy from New Westminster writes about episode 128. Hi, dogs. Been a long time since we've chatted, in quotes. We were two months in Mexico and returned January 1st, but January was not a good month for us, so we stayed low-key. However, I'm catching up on the podcasts and wanted to say I enjoyed the NFT explanation, although I'm still stuck on understanding why I would want to get into this. And I'm just, again, interrupt to just say that's the power of marketing, right? Marketing is so strong that your intellect tells you it's a bad idea, but you feel you must be wrong because the marketing has convinced you of something. She says, I love the Princess Bride, and Diane and I are constantly going around saying inconceivable (laughs) good work rj because that's nice nice and as a marriage commissioner i so want to start one of my ceremonies with (laughs) marriage is what brings us together today (laughs) love true love (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I think she should. She uh, spelled this, spelled that just so yeah. I could pronounce it. I wouldn't remember that. I think she should get the right couple who are into that and do it. Because I'm sure somebody somewhere would just love to be married that way. Uh, but wouldn't you hate to bomb on that line? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's looking, what? I was here. This is a special day for my daughter. <laughs> I'm doing Okay, and Ogre sent us a number of notes, but they came from his cell phone, so I just never figured it out. And he was sending us how to watch. He was in second place. There, his rink. The I can't remember the name. He's not the skip of that rink, but they were in the provincial playdowns, and I did follow the links. And all I got was a webcam feed of a rink where, you know, it's ten o'clock on Thursday night, and the club teams are playing. It's the men's and women's mixed, and you just sort of think, what? This is not. I don't even know what I'm looking at here, but I'm pretty sure it's not Ogre and his rink in the provincial men's playdown. Yeah, yeah. I bopped in there once, but uh, yeah, I didn't know when to watch or anything. Anyway, we are team Van Iser Lou, so we should find out if they got, they, they were currently in second. So. Yeah, I think I saw some correspondence that said they lost, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Some Facebook correspondence. And just a couple more on episode, our latest episode, 134, Magnum Opus. This one's from Lee of Courtney. Hi, dogs. Oh, so many things to say, so little time. But hey, I'll make the time because that's the kind of commenter I am. That's right. And that's why we love her letters because she is that kind of commenter. First, Magnum P.I. It was a really good show. And believe me, I'm not just saying that in the all the old shows were great, the new shows are crap kind of way. There was a lot of crap produced for TV in the 1980s. Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere were notable exceptions. But Magnum was well-written, well-acted, and usually a treat to watch. As you noted, it launched Tom Selleck's career, in which he's done very well, including a couple of seasons as Monica's love interest and friends. That was the 90s, and he was definitely older, but still maintained such cool that Joey and Chandler even grew mustaches and smoked cigars to be just like him. Regarding cooking a turkey... The look roasting bags are magic. I haven't done a turkey in anything but for decades, and they always come out perfect. Juicy, brown, crispy on the outside, full cooked in about a third of the time. Now, guys, you've never heard I've of never these heard bags? Of I had never heard of them either. I had never either. Sounds great, though. And yet it's we, like a little mini greenhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the brand name is Look. It's called Look, and I looked it up on Amazon. You get two for nine dollars, so your you know your turkey cooking cost there is four fifty. They're disposable, but I think this email came in after Nancy. So when we get to Nancy's email, she she kind of introduced the topic of the Look bags, so she'll have more there. Liquid death canned water. Good grief! I get that aluminum is more environmentally friendly in quotes than plastic water bottles. But you know what's the most environmentally friendly way to drink water? From the taps at our sinks. And if we're looking for water to go, then that amazing substance can go right into a reusable water bottle, which we carry along. PJ, you wanted to comment on that? Or? Well, it's I agree wholeheartedly with those remarks here in the Lower Mainland and many most places in British Columbia. But I, you and I, RJ, spent a summer in Calgary together, and I spent another summer there myself. 
And the last thing I ever want to do in Calgary ever again is drink the water right out of their taps. It's horrible water. And there's all kinds of places, big cities that have crap water like that. But it tastes that way because there's too much chlorine or there's a lot of chlorine in it. Uh, and it was also very alkaline. Oh, okay, okay. It was hard, hard water. Mm-hmm. And it just tasted awful. So, you know, but yes, for those of us here in the lower mainland, there's no way we should be doing anything other than drinking it out of the tap because our water is just awesome here. It's, we're really lucky, I, I say. I think a lot of the country, yeah, well, certainly here. The prairies, I think, generally speaking, have terrible water. Hard water, yeah. yeah. Now, Lee's from the prairies, so she can probably fill us in mm-hmm. on that. Regarding not being able to recycle milk containers, the rationale is that more people return more stuff if they get money back for it. Witness grocery stores that charge a dollar to loose a cart from the pack. They are never left all over the parking lot like the stores where the carts are free. You guys recycled your milk containers, but a ton of people didn't and they went to the landfill. Making containers refundable instead of just recyclable keeps a lot more of them from becoming garbage. It's a good thing. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, like KJ said when we introduced that, the market will take care of that. You'll get guys, the same guys that come through your recycling looking for those large juice containers that are worth something at the recycling place that I'm too lazy to take. They'll just take those as well. It takes up more space in your recycling container, but man. Right, and then for people who are kind of tight on money, then they'll start recycling. Maybe they didn't do it before. So yeah, yeah it's a good thing. Yeah, I just saw Mimi, uh, my a Chinese alley lady, expanding, collapsed, <laughs> four liter uh, jugs, right. and putting them in a big and clear uh, plastic bag. For, wow. our, for our listeners, just tell us, how was she expanding those? By hand. Like unfolding them and <laughs> kind of apart. squaring. She yeah. wasn't blowing into the top, was she? That's I didn't what see that part, but uh, uh, I don't think she did. And they, they weren't like full volume at the end. They were Some were sort of still a little bit dinted. Ooh, so enough so she'll get the money. Well, I guess. I think they just need, able to, need, need to be able to spray into it for the cleaning. Oh. And I th- so I think if it's a little bit. Oh, dented, so they're actually going to reuse them as they are? No, they clean them, then they, then they, oh, then oh, they melt them clean, down. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, gotcha. Yeah. But they, I mean, we just bought some uh, house numbers from the Rossland Society that recycles plastic. Mm-hmm. And it, it's highly recyclable. Those milk jugs go into stuff like that. So just, just hard plastic. Mike said these were number fives, meaning that batch was recycling any anything with that triangle and a five on it. But isn't that stuff just uh, heated to a point where you get rid of all the gigglies? That's well, what I always think. Well, I know that works with glass and with metal. So aluminum, you know, if you don't rinse it all that well, it smells a bit, but they just cook it and it's gone. But I think with plastic, it's more important to clean it out. Oh. So not perfectly, but just at least for sure you want to rinse the milk out so that it's pretty well all water at that point. Huh? Okay. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. And yeah, I read that in an article anyway. So just so I'm clear, cause now I'm confused. You'll take my word for it. Eh, Moby? Anyway, no, so- no, it's not. I, I, I honestly don't know myself. I always assumed and maybe wrongly that they melt that stuff down into they do, liquid but, plastic. They do, but it's not a very high melting temperature. So Fair. what happens You're is... You're saying that even that temperature, milk will still I'll bet you that make its plastic melts below boil... No, not below. Yeah, yeah. Not not much above boiling, right? Uh, I've agreed. Like maybe 300 degrees Fahrenheit and then it's, it's melting. 
And so that's not enough. You need 454 just to burn paper, right? So you can you can melt plastic well below 454. And so I think there's all kinds of stuff that won't burn off at that temperature. Yeah. It's just kind of melted in. Okay. Mm. But Good some, answer. I just, I was just thinking, well, what don't they? Because I was with KJ. I've always sort of thought, yeah, they want us to take the labels off. What? Because the labels are going to persist after you've heated it up to 6,000 degrees to make it liquid again? No. It's because they don't want to gum up their little works with uh, yeah, label pl- resin. Plastic would burn off. If plastic was mixed in with aluminum, for example, yeah, just go. the plastic would burn off. Yeah. So they have to keep the temperatures fairly low. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And finally, she says, I loved KJ's Anez board member, spelled A-N-E-Z, uh, <laughs> story as an example of a public faux pas. I'll just add a quick one of my own. I was attending my first CKNW radio Christmas party after I'd started working there in the newsroom. I was in a rented tuxedo. Clearly, I'd seen far too many Charlie perfume ads with Shelly Hack, and all the other women were in frou-frou 80s cocktail dresses, Uh, so I gathered a bit of attention. Guys, did I pronounce frou-frou right? Oh, absolutely. This is funny. I remember those Charlie perfume ads, and I can see you're in a tux, too. An older man came over to me, introduced himself as Ray Peters and asked who I was and where I worked. I told him and then said, do you work at the radio station too? Well, Ray Peters owned Western Broadcasting, which (laughs) owned CKNW and a bunch of other things. He was a broadcasting mogul. I thought a couple of the senior news guys nearby were going to faint, but he was very gracious. He smiled and said, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. That's a great letter. Okay, and and uh, we'll close out listener mail with this one from Sandra of New Westminster, also on episode 134, Magnum Opus. The secret, she says, to cooking a turkey is the look bag, which you can find at grocery stores if you go hunting. It's a see-through bag of some sort of unknown substance that self-bastes the turkey and cuts the cooking time by at least half. The time still depends on the size. The turkey has to be defrosted, and you can stuff it if you want, but I love stovetop stuffing. All the juices gather in the bottom of the bag. The turkey is a beautiful golden brown, and cleanup is a snap. The trick is to ensure you don't break the bag when you take out the turkey. Never lift the bag with the turkey in it, or cleanup will be no longer a snap. And to trust the timing so you don't overcook it. As the queen of boil-in-the-bag cooking, I swear by this. So that is super interesting. It is interesting. Like a whole letter specifically dedicated to making sure we know. I've never even heard of this thing. We two, what sh- Guys, there's something wrong with our relationship to the planet. We're the only three guys who don't know about look bags, apparently. Like, And I guess I'm, I'm guessing that they're the same material when you go to buy those already barbecued chickens at the supermarket that are in bags and they're warm. They're in that kind of heater yeah, thing. Yeah. That's, that's a clear bag as well. You can look in and see the chickens. Do you think they're cooked inside those bags? Well, I don't know if they're cooked, but I'm just wondering if it's the same material because it clearly can stand a lot of heat because yeah. they're kept pretty warm in there. If I was going to do a turkey, though, I would definitely want to try this because it just sounds... I love, too, like, don't pick it up by the bag. You can just imagine the nightmare that informs that remark. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is listener mail. 
That was a lot of great listener mail. So thank you, everyone, for those. Keep them coming. Thank you. I'm going to Vegas, guys. What for? Foosball tournament. That's right. That's right. I'm leaving about six days from now, I guess. Wow. Have to get COVID tested, though, because coming back, we're all good, right? But when you fly into the States, you still need the test. So I booked myself an appointment. At the airport? No, because I'm flying out at a 6 a.m. flight. And the testers open at 5 a.m. And I just don't feel comfortable working that, all that, right? Well, and now's the time too, eh? We've got another one of these little trough of the waves windows. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Like the numbers are coming up, but starting, haven't got here yet. Starting, yeah. Well, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to go because I know that this next wave is coming. And then on the day that I committed to making the decision, I did one last Google and I got Anthony Fauci. And, you know, a statement that he had made within the last 24 hours when I read it. And he basically said, we don't think the U.S. is going to have such a problem with this Omicron variant. Basically because we've been so bad in the past that (laughs) in all the world we're one of the most prominent groups that caught Omicron. And we think that most Americans caught Omicron. And of course, the Omicron variant, if you don't know, if you have had Omicron, you're very resistant to it. So anyway, that's flipped me the other way. And I decided to go down to Vegas. I thought Vegas is full of people who don't think clearly about risk. (laughs) (laughs) That's well put. Yeah. And so the kind of people who go to Vegas are the kind of people maybe who don't wear masks as much. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that I, I won't pick up anything down there. And I haven't checked my travel policy, but I'm pretty sure I'm covered if I catch COVID. But uh, I should have a look at that. Um, back to foosball, you've been practicing, I take it? I have. I had a great practice night a couple nights ago at uh, Soho Bar and Billiards, Billiards and Bar. And do you wear a mask? No. No, I've been going out to the foosball places not not wearing a mask. You rebel? Yeah, well. What's your uh, Vegas venue? Uh, It's the Golden Nugget. And the Golden Nugget is downtown. It's not on the Strip. And my God, there's something happening partway through the tournament that causes hotel prices to go through the roof. Ah. Like, it's usually kind of pricey there for a casino. Like, it's $100 per night, but then they add this ripoff fee at the last minute that's not quoted in the normal price, but it's really 140 They add 40 bucks U.S. So now we're talking, what, 170 Canadian or something like that. Well, for these two nights in a row, though, it's 415 U.S., Plus forty uh, Trump rally. per night. I was just going to say that. I hope it's not a Trump rally. Uh, yeah, who knows? So I found the four queens next door, and my God, they're cheap. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, have you really? Yeah. Okay. Well, and you stayed in the hotel? No, 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 no. Just just down to, on that strip there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The covered the, strip. The Fremont Experience. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Would you stay in the Four Queens? Uh, yes. Okay. The Four Queens has two towers and all the TripAdvisor reviews from the North Tower, which there is their budget is all about, you know, as long as you don't mind all the noise from the Fremont experience, Mm. you know, the partiers at 3 a.m. kind of down below you. And then I'm in the South Tower, so it's not so close and who knows, but you know, I can always wear earplugs if I have to. It's just that I was, I'm paying like 60 to 80 per night at Four Queens. Jeez, that's really cheap. You're going by yourself? 
I'm I'm going. There's a whole bunch of people going. No, Sue's not coming down. Sue's not coming. No, she she has no interest in being in Vegas, and neither do I, for that matter. Understandable. I, mean, I do have a a thing where a little system I use where I take ten dollars and bet it, um, and guarantee that I'll never go beyond the ten dollars because I just follow a little system. Come on, you can up that, can't you? No, go to twenty. No, no. There's there's no. 10 bucks. There's not been enough inflation yet. Maybe next time I'll go to 15. <laughs> 15. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so I was practicing. There's a whole group of us going down there. And uh, I just lined up a partner in experts today. Got a partner in seniors. I'll play in s- singles. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. So, but you got your grand gigantic heavyweight Cadillac table into your place recently. I do. I just bought a brand new table. And so how has that experience been? Have you got a glitter ball installed down there yet? It's just amazing. (laughs) You get on that. uh, (laughs) I got the neon. Like I wasn't going to disclose it in case somebody looks you up and robs you. Cause I know that that thing, it's like gold plated and it's got iridium surfaces on it. I mean, it's a thing, but you've been playing on it. It's been fun. It's great. Yeah, I've been using it almost completely for practice. The only times I've played other people is Cam when he came and helped because mm-hmm. I bought it from him and he, he put it together with me. Voices of Vancouver. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, Griffin played a little bit with me and Mike. Mike was in town just a few days ago. Mike of Rossland. And this table, though, 350 pounds, three quarter inch plywood, not press board. So a nice flat surface. Beautiful. Just wiggy. Yeah, so I've been practicing goal a lot because I feel like I should be able to play goal for stronger players. And the guy I'm playing with an expert, I'd I'd argue he's, well, he has more tournament experience than me, and that's huge. Probably plays better under pressure than I do. So I think playing goal will be good, but but, uh, will switch me up if, you know, everybody sometimes struggles in their Mm. position. So being able to switch is really important. So So will you be making little remarks Oh, you should add that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you seem to be struggling up there, but you know, it's your call. It's your call. You're the boss here. Oh, that's rough luck, I think. <laughs> I saw what you're trying to do. It was a good idea. <laughs> Just all those left-handed, really confidence-eroding remarks because you want to play forward. <laughs> that's what he's really practicing down there. Thanks for all the tips. I'll be using those. Hey, listen, I got one for us. I was talking to my youngest daughter today on unrelated matters, but she did have what I thought was sort of an interesting thing that she just dropped on me out of left field for no reason that I can think of. And it was, she said, Dad, I got a theory, and it is that 1980 was the best year ever to have been born in. And and I said, well, what? And she said, well, because in 1980, the internet hadn't been introduced really yet. So you were part of an actual community and your brain wasn't scrambled by social media messaging that you can't control or deal with. You couldn't hide online. You had to deal with real life. And then when you were sort of all prepared, the internet did come along and you could take advantage of it. And the environment wasn't really a huge issue for your young adult life. And she just had this whole litany of stuff. And I thought, wow. And then I said, well, you know, I think I might argue that if you were born in 1980 or earlier, but then I started thinking, well, no, because I mean, when we were born in the fifties, you know, smoking was still presented as a thing that was okay to do. 
Uh, asbestos hadn't been identified yet as a thing. Lead paint not identified. The environment was no kind of issue. It was just smoke them if you got them, you know, like all the way through for us, we just got exposed to all kinds of risks that we weren't even aware of. And so you sort of, oh, maybe, maybe she's right. So I thought I would throw that out there. How do you feel about that? 1980? I like her reasoning. Oh, I was floored by it. Yeah. I'd really like to hear from listeners who were born in that region. Yeah. 1980 plus or minus a few years. Well, I think Jesse of Montreal should come walking yeah, in on this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I, I just thought, what a thought that was. Okay, and she just feels now you're born into this maelstrom, you know, like the environment's going to hell and politics are going to hell and social media has gone to hell and just it's all awful. Yeah. Well, lately I've been wondering if I have ADHD or something. I have issues with staying focused and on task. Mike and I were working on uh, putting new foam on the speakers, uh, which is which was a little bit of a task. Because <laughs> my old foam was all ripped up by cats, right? So I ordered some foam pieces and we had to kind of take some wood strips off the back of the speaker. But every time Mike would, oh, we need this tool or that tool, X-Acto knife or whatever, I'd head off and spend 10 minutes working on where am I going to find that tool. Isn't it in your spreadsheet? Yeah. So I'd then I'd go to the spreadsheet, right? And then, okay, well, I hadn't recorded it properly with that name or <laughs> So whatever. you got to correct that like Or it sends me out to Ben K and it turns out it was in Ben <laughs> K, but I had to get all the way to the bottom to find. It's just like every <laughs> so- <laughs> time. Yeah. There's a whole lot of searches through the house lately. Sue's very good about helping, right? Because you know how... It, Annoying it could be to have someone, hey, can you, have you seen my, you know, <laughs> yeah. could be. And you have to say it that way. I would way. get kind of old after a while. That's right. You have to turn the daughtering dial up <laughs> two or three notches. <laughs> I don't know where my glasses are. Have you seen my. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Uh, where were you going oh, there, Skin? Uh, that was it. It was just, how did you feel about whether 19, yeah, you like the reasoning? Yeah. I like the reasoning. And yeah. I think what you were speaking to is. Her reasoning around being born after 1980 exposes you to way more scrambling from social media, which I think might be a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she thing. must be right in the thick of oh yeah social media, of course. Oh, yeah, and I believe does not love it very well. Well, that's encouraging. It's a lot of stuff, right? It's a yeah. lot of stuff to yeah. kind of keep going. I got my tactics for minimizing the negative parts of social media. One of which I use Tweetbot and then Facebook. I mentioned many times on the podcast here. I always view that in most recent mode. Mm. I mute people and I instantly scroll past heartwarming stuff. Mm. If it's a heartwarming video, it's almost always set up. Yeah. So I, I have enough of the cynic in me to not get in, inspired by that kind of stuff because I see, oh, well, how was it that someone was holding a camera perfectly just at that moment? Yeah. Like how did that work? Right. There's a lot of those on Facebook. I fall for the soft stuff, generally speaking, but I do have uh, very cynical responses. For instance, Susan of Rosslyn texted me today saying, did you see that the Pope has actually apologized has, to the indigenous yeah. representatives? That's real, right? It's real. And I read his apology and it was, seemed, he said all the words. And you know what my first response was? For My first response was, well, I'd like to see him apologize with his wallet. I'd like for him to stop spending money that they were supposed to have given in terms of penalty on their legal team's defense of their response to that. Mm. Stuff like that. Show us the money, Pope Pontifex. 
Don't just say the words. That's Bob. legit. I mean, you still appreciated what he said, though. Well, it took a while to get there. I had uh, to get over my disgust that it's all just a sham, an act, a play of soriness. But even a play of soriness is more than any other guy has ever done. So it's a step forward. Hmm. But cynical. Speaking of cynical, <laughs> uh-huh. Big Brother Curling, I have this note in here. Any of you guys read that? No, I, I read it just now. So... In the recent Olympics, curling was actually a sport. And I noticed that as they threw the rock, there was a little light in the handle. And I thought, what the hell is that? A little red light or a little green light. And you know what it oh, was? yeah, yeah. Basically, if you held the rock and crossed the hog line, the red light goes on. The green light on the rock as it goes down the sheet indicates that it's a valid rock, right? Oh. And I started thinking, you know, I'm joking in here about, uh, you know, China. Because that's where this is introduced, and are they messing with the rocks somehow electronically? The you know changing the course of the rocks as they go down the sheet and all that kind of stuff via satellite. But they're little. Uh, I just I was very surprised to see that I'd never even heard of it, and there it was on TV. See, I saw the lights this time because Griffin likes to watch. So does Sue. So I end up watching and. Yeah, I never figured that out. So that's that totally makes sense. That's what it, yeah. And I don't know how exactly it works. Like, how does it know that you've let go? I don't know if there's a pressure switch on the handle. I don't know how it works. But it's able to tell whether you let go before or after the hog line. It's the same technology as uh, those uh, table saws that'll stop before you slice your thumb off. I haven't heard about those either. I could have used one of those. <laughs> mm. Like what? if it goes into flesh, it stops instantly. Wow. Oh, you haven't heard about that? Uh, no. I have not, no. Well, that's so is pretty it based, ancient. Is it based on the resistance to I the... have no idea how it works. Yeah. But I think they have applied that to the curling rocks. No, I can I could see that. Like if it's spinning freely, it knows it's good. If it there's a huge amount of resistance, it trusts that it's wood. But if there's a just a tiny amount of resistance, yeah, but what it's if going, you're, hey, I'll bet you that's flesh. <laughs> what if you're sort of at the same time as you're going through wood? Does it still work? Oh, I don't know. Good point. So Good like point. if a housefly blunders into your running <laughs> saw, just stops. I mean, wow. I haven't ever heard. You say that's been around for quite a while? Yeah, they were bringing one in when Bruce left uh, this shop at Studio 58. And he left oh, wow. some yeah. years ago now. Maybe it tastes blood. Uh, Maybe you could flip the sensor so that it only runs when it tastes blood, blood. They probably have machine learning for that, right? Like, I just know. And it. I like, bet it was like line up, in China. <laughs> line up 500 people, get 500 people to run their fingers into those things, and the machine just kind of, yeah. each time, just it has some it. false negatives You're and right. false positives, and then Holy they just China. keep tuning it. Holy done. <laughs> just don't use animals. Uh, yeah, exactly. Use people who really need 50 bucks or whatever, you know. Jeez, what a horrible thought. That's oh, funny. We'll have to look that one up. <laughs> How did they learn, right? I guess. Like what happens if you put a block of cheese in there? Does this just stop? What if you're using it to saw cheese? For you're probably reason? getting close to how they actually did it. It wouldn't surprise me if it's machine learning, but maybe they just chose some kind of substance that has similar density yeah. to flesh. Right? Like that jelly they use to test bullet penetration, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ballistic jelly. <laughs> Jeez, that's wild. I did not know about that. I, I, kind of fun. On the uh, topic of curling, it's a great little uh, video called The Physics of Curling. And, uh, and uh, I didn't see this, but it, does it have animations that show what they're doing? Yeah, it's done by the Smarter Everyday Guy. Have you ever seen any of his stuff? No. 
Yeah, he's out of the Midwest somewhere, and uh, he is always showing things in ultra slow motion, like a bullet going into something in ultra slow motion. He'll talk oh, about the jump. physics. There's a lot of blow it up real good type feel to his videos. And he did an amazing thing on curling because I thought I knew. I thought I thought I understood how it works. You know, the the thing's curling. It's spinning. The rock is spinning, so there's going to be more resistance in one direction and less in the other, kind of like rowing rowing a boat on one side and rowing it backwards on the other side. You know, it's going to cause a spin. But he said physicists have still not agreed on why a curling thing spins the way it does. And if you take, uh, if you take like a, a jar and spin it while sending it down a bar top, like a glass of beer, I guess, or a jar, it will actually curl in the opposite direction that a, a stone does. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more at play. It has to do with the melting of the, the ice pebbling. and the pebbling, which I had no idea. Most of our listeners probably know about pebbling. Uh, I haven't curled. I've kind of noticed the, the way the surface is pebbled, but I didn't realize that there's a pebbling machine well, in Rosslyn, it was just a guy with a water tank and a hose with a like a shower head on the end uh-huh, of it. He just yeah. flipped it back and forth like this. It's a walking real art. Walking backwards. Hmm? Yeah, walking backwards. Yeah. It's an art. You can't have it on there too thick. You can't have it on there too thin. Yeah, okay. Well, now they have a blade that comes along and cuts it to the exact height, the regulation height. Yeah, there's machines made in China. <laughs> China. <laughs> I, I'm still stuck on the, it'll then, curl the opposite direction. And, and another thing is that. you probably, you guys probably also know, but I always assumed that the bottom of the rock was simply a flat circle. I didn't realize that like a flat filled in circle. Oh no, no, no. It's just got a, it's a ring. A ring. Yeah. I had no idea. But anyway, he talks about the importance of that ring and, and it, he has amazing images that Did really. He, he must've gone into sweeping. Yeah. 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 That's also quite fascinating in terms of melted ice and freezing ice and all that kind of stuff. So now that I've given you guys the intro, I will resend the link. Well, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And I got to watch that. Yeah. And this smarter everyday guy, you could just look through his catalog and find all kinds of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Huh. Well, that's fun. And since curling was automated, I want to talk about monkey butlers. Do it. Well, of course. I was having dinner at the Chinese HQ Skillet at North Road in Lougheed. Sichuan food, delightful Sichuan food. That was your video. Is that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we place our order. This was in February, I think. And this robot thing comes out and it's got, it's a set of shelves. It's got four wheels and it's got an electronic display on the front of it. And it's showing an electronic smile face. <laughs> And it's singing a little sort of Super Mario Kart kind of song. And it comes rolling out to your table and it's got your dish on there. So you pull off the dish and then its little face displays a button in the middle with arrows going flashing at the place and you touch it on there and it pulls away from the table and goes back off to the kitchen. What the, what even just happened there? So, you know, monkey butlers, it's what's next. See, in your video, um... It delivers the stuff to the table, but then a server unloads it. Oh, that's a recent development. So that video was taken just last week, I think. Oh. And I think what they discovered is if you order, like, say, for instance, uh, 
uh, sour fish soup. It comes in a big bowl, like it's a honking big bowl. Oh, right. And right. you're sitting at the table and you're having to sort of reach oh, over because, yeah, of course, yeah. it can't pull right up onto the table. You got to reach out. And I imagine so now they send a guy Whoa. from the back to come with it to take it from the thing and oh. put it on and push the little buttons. So you sort of think, isn't that kind of defeating the purpose a little bit? What are we going to just use this thing for appetizers now? Things that are safe to take off, like what? Or if he's got a big load, if he's got like seven dishes, and I, I just don't know. I thought it was really fun. I don't know what made them do it. The lady who runs the place told Angie that she was having trouble keeping help because of uh, COVID generally, and they're students and they're not terribly reliable. So they got this thing. I thought it was just a rental unit, but over the course, I've been there three times in the last three months, and it's been there every time now does it require uh human assistance every time or only because you could you would think like for lots of different kinds of dim sum there's no risk i i don't know i mean the first time we saw it no human came with it it just came out to our table because if the human came every time then then really they're not saving any money no the first time it came with no human the other time and it in the video that i sent you guys they are it did come with that large dish of large tureen of soup yeah and that probably is they probably think ah, I don't yeah know. yeah but not a good idea a lot of fun though that's cool and it's got a little charging station just like a Roomba <laughs> you know just charge it parks in there when it needs to and yeah this last time that we went they changed the Super Mario type music to something more distinguished you know like uh, that song in G that you always hear Pachelbel's Canon there you go thank you Paco Bell's cannon. It was playing that the last time. So I don't know why. Still has this dopey little cartoon smiley face on it going out. Anyway. The future. Very good. It was fun. We've arrived at the end. It's still April 1st. Still a good day. Had a real fun time in here. I hope that uh, I remember to take pictures of KJ's Murphy bed in progress because there's a lot of large and imposing pieces of plywood around here. It kind of looks like we need some Egyptians in here to make this into the pyramid or something. There's a lot going on in here. Nice. We're in a little lapse right now in the whole COVID wave theory thing. We're at the bottom of the trough. So take a couple deep breaths because it's as good as it's going to get for a while now. Enjoy yourself, take care of yourself, look out for yourself because we need you back here to see us again the next time. Take care. Bye. Bye.